is. Well, good morning. My name is Bill Walker. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace, and uh, it's great that you are here. If you're new, I do want to invite you to our time uh, with the pastors and pizza. As you make your way out through those doors, it's right over here. It's called Room 1, S1, and so we would love to meet with you there and enjoy some company and fellowship with you, some pizza too. Um, we are slowly but surely making our way through this uh, journey, and we have been journeying now. This is the 17th week that we have been on this hike up the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, as you know, as we've been making our way along, uh, it has been cool and wonderful and lovely in some places, and in other places it has been rather rigorous and rugged. Uh, in fact, Jesus put it this way, the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. And so in a lot of ways, what Jesus has been teaching us is hard. How many would agree with that? Oh my goodness, it's hard to do what Jesus is talking about here. You know, somebody put it this way once, and I thought it was well said, um, life wouldn't be so hard if we didn't expect it to be so easy. And I think sometimes with the Christian life, we think it's all just, woohoo, bigger, better, new heights. It's all just good. It's love, joy, peace, uh, and so on and so forth. But the reality is the trek that Jesus calls us on indeed deals with love, joy, peace. But it's also a process of transformation in our lives that is difficult. Now, the challenge is this. There are many people today who will stand in pulpits, be on television, who will tell you, oh, no, 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 no. If it's hard, you don't understand it. If, if, it's, if it's difficult, then you must be doing it wrong. Because they have found a better way uh, to know God and maybe even, quote, unquote, follow Jesus than the way that even Jesus recommends. So, Jesus actually warns us, as we're getting to the close of his message, about such people. Today, we're going to consider together this thing where Jesus says, beware of false prophets. So, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be looking together in Matthew chapter 7, and we're looking at verses 15 through 20 together. Now, I just want to say this. If we were not doing an expository series where we are going paragraph by paragraph, thought by thought, I would never talk on this, okay? Uh, this is just not one of those things that I can wait to tell everybody about. False prophets, oh, let's do this. No. Uh, if I were doing a topical series, I would never choose that as one of my headings. But because we are doing what Jesus is talking about here, I have no choice but to deal with what he's saying. And so we're going to walk into this together today, trying to make sense of all that Jesus is speaking to us about. So, Matthew chapter 7, uh, we're going to begin in verse 15, and notice what Jesus says, Beware, beware, watch out for false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So, every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor a diseased tree bear good fruit. 
Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. There's almost a sense of judgment there. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Say that with me. You will recognize them by their fruits. One more time. You will recognize them by their fruits. Beware. Ultimately, they give themselves away. Beware. Let's take a minute. Let's pray together. Then let's unpack uh, what Jesus is saying to us today. Oh, Father, thank you. Uh, for this great time of worship this morning. It is always good to praise our God. And there's something liberating, something joyful, something within the very core of our being that just feeds on this opportunity to exalt our God. Thank you. And now as we turn to your word, Father, I ask that you would give us the enablement of your Holy Spirit to make sense of it, that you would give us discernment that the Spirit of God who dwells in the people of God would wave red flags saying something's not quite right. Something doesn't seem true about what we're understanding. And so, Lord, I pray as we perceive and understand and are aware of false prophets that you would help us even today to understand where they're coming from and what they're trying to accomplish. Give us wisdom, I pray. In Jesus' name, and the people of God said, amen, amen. So what I'm going to do uh, is I'm going to do my best to kind of, kind of walk through this quickly and kind of uh, just explain it. And then what I'd like to do is kind of transition over and actually see if we can apply it to the day and age in which we live. Because the issues of Jesus' day were a little different than they are today, but nonetheless, they were false teachers at both times. So let me see if I can break this down. Jesus says this, and he commands this. He says, beware of false prophets. Watch out for false prophets. And they are going to come across as fellow followers of Jesus Christ because when they come to you, they do so in sheep's clothing. They're going to look like us. They're going to smell like us. They're going to sound like us. They're even going to carry great big thick black Bibles and they're going to open it up and they're going to talk like us. So he's saying beware because they're going to appear initially to be a follower of Christ and really a fellow follower of ours. However, however, they are actually simply using their platform as a speaker for God. A prophet is one who speaks on behalf of God to the people. And so they're going to use their platform as a prophet or a speaker for God for their own purposes. And their motives are very clear. Inwardly, their inward desire is not for the good of the sheep, or for the glory of the shepherd, though they will tell you that's why they do what they do, but they are in reality ravenous wolves. They are false prophets. And if you will, little play on words, false prophets will twist God's message for their prophets. P-R-O-F-I-T-S. They're in it for themselves. They're in it for their own development, for their own kingdoms, for their own benefits and profits. 
Now, it's not always easy to see what they're doing in the very beginning. That's why Jesus gives us this analogy of this thing of grapes and thorn bushes, figs and thistles. Uh, early on, while the uh, thorn bushes uh, berries are yet immature, early on and from a distance, they can look like grapes. In fact, the thistle flower looks like the flower that would actually give you the fruit of a fig. But if you allow some time to go by, allow the fruits to become mature upon a little closer examination, the fruit of the thistle and the th fruit of the thorn uh, bush is not good fruit. It is bad fruit. In fact, the fruit of a thorn bush and the fruit of a thistle is actually toxic. And so, these false prophets, they are actually toxic. Initially, their ministry and their message appears fruitful, but it will become evident in time. And upon closer scrutiny, that their toxic message is one of destructive, selective teachings. One of false words, according to the Apostle Peter in 2 Peter 2.2. And they will captivate and they will lead astray people, according to Paul in Timothy, 2 Timothy 4, who will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears for teachers who will suit their own passions. These false teachers are ravenous wolves who will do this to slake their inward desire for, and this is why they do it, according to 2 Peter 2, 2, and you can go there and read what Peter has to say about false prophets. They do it for the sake of money, for the sake of sex, and for the sake of power. That's why they're in this. That's why they do what they do. They are building their own kingdoms, and they are not building Christ's kingdom. Thus, in time, you will recognize them by their fruit, because after a little while, it becomes evident. The red flags of the Holy Spirit in our heart start to go off. Something doesn't sound right. Something's not quite authentic. Something is missing. And over the course of time, they will prove through their immoral and unethical lives and through the selfish, self-centered lives of their followers to prove to be false. They did not represent Christ they represented themselves in a new way, a new way. So this is a basic walkthrough what Jesus was saying. He was warning us to be aware of these people who are going to come along and they're going to offer us a different message. Now the truth is, we have just last week come through this section where Jesus said, enter by the narrow gate. Jesus has just explained to us exactly the way in which we are to come to life. And so by connecting these people onto his message, what in fact he is saying is this. Contextually, these false prophets are those who do not advocate the narrow way to life that Jesus has just presented us. So let me read again what we looked at last week because it connects these. And so Jesus gives us these words. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are how many? Many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are how many? So how many ways does Jesus say there are? 
Yeah, there's one true way to life, but how many ways does he show us? He gives us two basic paths through life. He gives us two basic scenarios. There is his way, the way to life, the way that is narrow and the way that is hard, and then he gives us another way, and this is every other way. And it is the wide gate, and it is that which is ultimately easy. Now, it's easy in the beginning. It doesn't play out to be easy in the end. Uh, but, uh, so that's what Jesus gives us. There are two ways, he says, only two ways. One way, my way, Jesus said, is the narrow gate, the hard way. It is the way of repentance and of joyful trust in Jesus. It is turning from my destructive, sinful habits and my selfish life and living and renouncing these things that have been ruining my life and will ultimately destroy my life. And in relief, I have this incredible gratitude as I embrace Jesus by reliance and trust him as my Savior and Lord. Jesus said this is the way to life, the entrance into the kingdom of heaven. The other way and all the other ways is the wide gate, the easy way. This is every other way. It is the way of self and selfishness. It is a works righteousness, and it leads to destruction and exclusion from the kingdom of heaven. How many ways are there? How many? So there's two. Does that bother you? Doesn't that seem terribly not right? You know, there's a lot in us that kind of says, wow, that really doesn't seem right. That almost seems very narrow, terribly restrictive. Um, what about all those other billions of people? What about, what about my life? What about my dreams, my plans? What about what I want? That sounds terribly restrictive to me, Jesus. If the way to life is repentance and joyful trust in you, what about my dreams? What about my hopes? What about all the things I want? You know, it would be nicer if there were another way, wouldn't it? It really would. It'd be so much fun. It'd be so much easier. In fact, again, I like the way Francis Chan put it from somebody in his church. Saying, what's the obvious truth of this book? And the, the, the arguments I've had where, where uh, you, you know, people have said, you know, uh, one guy, been in my church for like 15 years, ever since it started. I thought I was one of the key guys. And, and he comes to me, you know, just, just not too long ago. And he goes, you know, Francis, here's the problem with you. He goes, you think everyone needs to be this radical. You, you think that Jesus calls us all to be radicals. He, he, goes, he goes, you know, you, you think there's just these, these few radicals. And, and, and he goes, you know, there's this, you got to understand, there's, a, there's this middle road where, where, you know, people, you know, they profess Christ and they do some good things. And it's like you're, 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 you're neglecting that whole middle road. Did you guys know that? There's a narrow road that leads to life. There's a wide road that leads to destruction. And now there's this new middle road. See, I didn't know that. Like a carpool lane. It's just this, this weird new road we created where you can just do some good things in the name of Jesus and still hold. It's, it's, you know, you know you just go, you're serious right now. You're dead serious. You found a middle road. I so, 
with good old American ingenuity and the spirit of independence which makes us who we are, the American gospel where I did it my way, the give me options so I can realize my dreams of autonomy and wealth, we have developed today in America a new and improved way to heaven. And I'm going to unveil it for you. And it goes like this. It's not just the narrow hard way or the wide gate that's easy, but now we have Believe Gate. And it's all my way. It's awesome. Believe Gate is, hey, just believe in Jesus. Hallelujah. Get baptized. The moment you do, you get on the automatic escalator to e eternal ecstasy. That's all it takes. Just believe. You're on your way to heaven. Good job. Awesome. You did it. Now, along the way, feel free to hold on to your individual autonomy. Feel free to hold on to your American materialistic dream. And feel free to keep a few of your choicest sins, the ones that you enjoy the most. And don't worry about it. Because when you die, you'll go to heaven. So let's just have a good time. Hmm. 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 How many ways are there? How many? Two. 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 You know, Jesus said this, I would that you were hot or that you were cold. But because you are lukewarm and loving it, I'm going to have to spit you out of my mouth. This is in many ways American evangelism. Believe, receive, go to heaven, do whatever you want. God's good with you. The only problem with that is how many ways are there? Actually, the believe gate my way is nothing more than the wide gate easy way with a new spin. It leads to the same place. It leads to destruction. And so the reality is Jesus is saying Beware. There is a way to life. It is a very narrow gate. Oh, how narrow the gate, which leads to the narrow way, which leads to life in him. And then everything else, everything else is just a new modification of the other way, the wide gate, which is the easy way, except it leads to destruction. You know, uh, there are many false prophets out there, and some of which uh, make radical departures from the teaching of Scripture. I mean, it's really obvious that they're no longer even within the margins of what's called orthodoxy. And so we often brand those groups, uh, things like cults. They're so far out that they kind of self-identify. They're cults. And to be sure, cults are leading many people astray, and they have... Uh, many of their own followers who are in this way. But today, what I'd like to do is I'd like to focus in on a little bit uh, more the subtle and what I actually consider to be the more deadly way or these false prophets. And it is those who are so close to the truth that it's almost imperceptible that they're actually not telling you the whole truth. I like what D.A. Carson said. He said this. It is even possible in some instances that everything these false prophets say is what? What? 
interesting. But because they leave out the difficult bits, they do not tell the whole truth. And thus, their total message is what? There is nothing in their teaching that fosters a poverty of spirit. There's nothing that searches the conscience, makes men and women cry out to God for mercy. There's nothing which excoriates all forms of religious hypocrisy. Nothing which prompts a righteousness of conduct and an attitude that makes some persecution inevitable. What he is saying is this. In preaching a partial message, they preach a false message. What is going on today in a lot, of, a lot of preaching that goes on, particularly on teller evangelists, I have to kind of push them to the front because they're the ones trying to get the masses to help them keep their empires growing and building, is it's not that they, what they're saying is wrong, but what they're not saying is wrong. Does that make sense? They're only giving you half the picture. They're only giving you half the story, and they want you to say, oh, I get it, I love this. But the problem is that's not the way Jesus explained what it means to come to life. So, let's kind of focus in on these folks a little bit. Now, the challenge here is there's so many half-truth tellers and variations of partial gospels that we could spend months chasing them around and exposing them. I'm just glad to know that Jesus did not call us to be heresy hunters. That's not our goal. That's not our position. But to be discerning, watchful, and aware. And so, really, the best way to be aware is to know the real thing to know the truth. Thus, when something other than it comes along, there's that red flag the Holy Spirit says, there's something not quite right about what you're listening to because you do know the truth. So what I'm going to do is uh, take some of the instruction uh, from last Sunday. Now, I'm not going to re redo the message from last week, uh, but what I'm going to do is I want to take the basic categories we talked about concerning this thing called the narrow gate and the hard way. I want to take some of those categories, and what I'd like to do is push forward some of the, the deep biblical gospel truth connected to them that you will never hear on these, these TV programs. The truth that is ultimately important for the salvation of a soul and for Jesus to have true followers. What I'm about to share with you are many of the points that they will never, never even mention. Or if they have to try and discuss it, they are so antsy trying to be politically correct that, that you're like, what do you really believe? They'll never really tell you because they're trying to keep as broad of a gate open as they can to get as many followers and adherents as they can to keep the money flowing through. I'm sorry, that's their motivation, right? False prophets are in it for money, sex, and power. That's what they do. They're not building Christ's kingdom. So let's focus in on a few of these biblical truths that are nestled in Jesus' teaching but are often left out of these false teachers' messages. So when we were together last week, we talked about the fact that uh, the narrow gate and the wide gate, the narrow gate is so hard to find because it is minuscule in comparison to the wide gate. We said that the, the gate is impossible to find on our own. Now, the reason for that is largely because we are sinners. <laughs> Anybody say amen? <laughs> we are sinners, and our sinful self-centeredness, our fallen nature, prevents us from truly beholding the true way. 
You know, one of the realities that they don't share, that the Bible speaks much of, is the reality of this thing called depravity. Depravity. All humanity is in rebellion against God. All humanity is in rebellion against God. We are depraved is the way it's often put. How many like that word? You are depraved. Yeah, it's not a good word. None of us really feel warm fuzzies about that one. Uh, but let me give you what the biblical uh, understanding of the word depravity is. Depravity is not that I am as bad as I can be. We have to say at least a depraved person because look at the, 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 the depth of sin they're in or the depth of grossness they're in. But, but depravity doesn't mean being as bad as I can be. What depravity means biblically is that I am as bad off as I can be. I am in the absolute worst place that I can be. And so the Bible gives us this understanding of humanity. Uh, Paul, in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, gave us this, this snapshot of the believers in Ephesus, uh, the way they lived prior to meeting Jesus. So Ephesians 2 is a beautiful uh, explanation of the gospel. But at the very beginning, he said this, you were, speaking of their previous condition before they met the, uh, the true Christ, you were what? You're dead. You're dead. By that, he means in relationship to God. You are absolutely incapable of making any movement towards God. Your good works will never bridge the gap. You are dead. You are, you are um, completely uh, separated from God. Because of your trespasses, those are wrongs done against God, given in his word, and your sins. Notice, which you once walk following what? The course of this world. Okay, so we were created for the glory of God, that we would exalt God, that we would walk with God and glorify him. But not only did we rebel against him and turn away from him and create this schism through our sin and trespasses, but now we're actually walking according to the world which, by the way, is run by the prince of the power of the air, which is a.k.a. the devil. So not only are we in rebellion against God, but we're actually siding with the enemy. This is what Paul is teaching our true condition is. So we, are, we were dead in relationship to God. We were walking in the course of this world, following the dictates of the devil, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience is how he refers to them among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our mind and our body. And so this is our true condition. And so you will never hear this. On a lot of these TV programs, they don't like to deal with the, re the reality of depravity. But it is a very biblical teaching. It's a very necessary biblical teaching. Jesus did not come simply to be our our uh, life coach you know he didn't come just to be our buddy he didn't come to be my co-pilot he didn't come to be just the guy who helps me get along in life to realize my potential and to actualize my dreams this is not who Jesus is when the angel was speaking to Mary and Joseph about this one to come and you shall call his name Jesus for he shall save his people from their sin. He is the Savior. This is why he came. It is not to be our buddy. 
He is not there just to be our good friend. He is to be our Savior from what? And if we don't understand that, then we can't properly respond biblically to who he is. So this teaching of depravity is key to understanding the proper response to the messaging in the gift of God found in Christ. But the reality is this. Not only are we depraved, but we are by very nature the children of, what's the word? Wrath. So, the reality of depravity gives way to the inevitability of judgment. The broad road leads to destruction. Jesus often spoke of judgment. He often spoke of condemnation. He often spoke of hell. In fact, Jesus spoke more of hell and judgment and, and, and these categories of, 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 of awfulness than really anybody else in the Bible. And yet Jesus was the love gift of God. He was holy, harmless, and undefiled. And yet he, he spoke more of hell and judgment than anybody else. Why? Beware, beware. Beware. He was warning people. Do not stay on the broad road. He was warning people what awaits all of humanity apart from him. And so this is what he is doing. So the reality is depravity. The inevitability is judgment. And if we somehow fail to understand those truths, then what we have done is we have emasculated the gospel which causes us to flee to Christ, to find a Savior. And it results in gratitude in a life that is being will, willingly lived out for Christ. Jesus did not come to make bad people good or good people better. He came to make dead people alive. That's who he is. But... False prophets avoid the terms sinners, depravity, hell, wrath, or judgment, and they replace them with words like love, grace, realize your dreams, and actualize your potential. But that doesn't capture the truth. It's half the truth, without which you don't have the complete message. In fact, Jesus made it very clear. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick need one. And so in a very real way, if you think you're just basically good and Jesus is going to make you a little better, you don't really need him, but you know you're grateful for his help. But if you know that you have the cancer of eternal death, you're going to run to him because he is the only one who can help you. I have not come to call the righteous, people who think they're good, I've come to call sinners to repentance. So one of the key truths that Jesus was sharing with us about the narrow way the narrow gate that leads to the narrow way is this idea of the reality of depravity and the inevitability of judgment. These are things that a lot of these people today just simply do not talk about. Another thing, uh, looking at the gate, not only is the gate impossible to find on your own, the reality of depravity and the inevitability of judgment, but secondly, the gate is the only gate that leads to life. This gate is the only gate that leads to life. And this brings us to another challenge for a lot of these TV uh, evangelists. And this is the exclusivity of Jesus. The exclusivity of Jesus. Jesus is the only way to God and hence heaven. Let me do that one more time. Jesus is the only way to God and hence heaven. 
I hope so, because he is the only way. Christ alone is the only portal in this multicultural world of religions, saviors, and gods that leads to life. Only Jesus. Because only Jesus was the God-man who could be a suitable savior for our souls and deal with our depravity, bringing back together God and man. Only Christ can do that. This is where a lot of these people, these false prophets, really get skittish. You know, um, I'm going to put a person up here, and, and he's just representative uh, of actually uh, a lot of what I would call the prosperity gospel, the gospel of greed. Um, and in and, and, and trying to nail him down is very awkward, and he does a lot of dancing verbally. But you know where he's going with this. He refuses to say Jesus is the only way. Here you go. His latest book, Become a Better You, for which he reportedly got a $13 million advance, goes on sale tomorrow. They read more like self-help than religion. In his new book, Osteen lays out seven principles he believes will improve our lives. To become a better you, you must be positive towards yourself, develop better relationships, embrace the place where you are. Yeah. Not one mention of God in that, not one mention of Jesus Christ in that. That's just my message. There is scripture in there that backs it all up. But I feel like, Byron, I'm called to help people. How do we walk out the Christian life? How do we live it? And these are principles that can help you. I mean, if there's a lot better people qualified to say, here's a book that's going to explain the scriptures to you. I don't think that's my gifting. <laughs> Phoenix, Arizona. Hello. Hello, Larry. You're the best. And thank you, Joe, Joel, for your positive messages and your book. I'm wondering, though, um, why you sidestepped Larry's earlier question about how we get to heaven. Um, the Bible clearly tells us that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the light, and the only way that the Father is through him. That's not really a message of condemnation, but of truth. Yeah, I would agree with her. I believe that. So then That's what Jew is not going to heaven. No, I... I, I mean, well, here's my thing, Larry, is I can't judge somebody's heart. You know, I don't know. Only God can look at somebody's heart. And so, I don't know. I just, to me, it's not my business to say, you know, this one is or this one isn't. I'm just saying, here's what the Bible teaches. And I want to put my faith in, uh, you know, in Christ. And I, I just, I think it's wrong when we go around saying, you know, you're not going, you're not going, you're not going because it's not exactly my way. I'm just, I'm not going to be the God. believe your way. I believe my way. I believe my way with all my heart. But For someone who doesn't share it. Well, it is wrong, isn't it? Yeah. I, I, I well, I don't know if I look at it like that. I would, I would present my way, but I'm just going to let God be the judge. You know, it's, it's interesting. Uh, Jesus was willing to go through this to make the way, but we're not willing to offend somebody to share the way. I mean, the truth of the matter is this. Um, it is offensive. The cross is offensive. Blood and guts on a cross is offensive, but so is our sin to God. And so that's really what it represents, is our ability to be made right with God required this kind of a sacrifice from the God-man himself. The Apostle Paul, the one who actually took the message that Jesus made by him dying on the cross and ultimately opening this new and living way up to the Father, is the one who was chased all around the Mediterranean world. He was stoned, he was beaten, he was shipwrecked, he wound up in Rome, and he was ultimately executed. And this is what he said. We preach Christ. 
And we preach him crucified. And I know it's a stumbling block to the Jews, and it's a folly to the Gentiles, but there's no other way. That's just the way it is. If you're going to be embarrassed about the cross and embarrassed about Jesus, then there's no hope for the people you're talking to. Now, now, if you love Joel Osteen, I, I get it. He is one of the best pure speakers I've ever listened to. And if you're looking to be jazzed up or excited or to find some principles to live by, listen to him. But don't take him as a Bible teacher. That's not who he is. That's not what he does. He even admitted that. Do you really want a book that talks about the Bible? That's not my thing. He is a public speaker. He is a winsome guy who is building a massive ministry in the name of Jesus, but it's really built on him. It's not built on the cross because he's too embarrassed to actually bring the cross to the forefront, tell people that they are depraved, that they are going to hell unless they embrace this Christ. That's the only way. Remember, there's only two ways, Jesus' way and all the other ways. And I'm afraid those who don't embrace Jesus' way only half talk about what the message of the gospel is. They are embracing the other way. The reality of depravity is something you'll not hear them talk about. The inevitability of judgment is not something you'll often hear them talk about. The exclusivity of Jesus, they dance, they're very diplomatic. Uh, a lot of PC around that whole issue. Thirdly, oh, let me just throw this out by Tim Keller. All religions and philosophies say, this is the way. Only Jesus said, I am the way. Remember that. Here we go. The gate is impossible to find on your own. The issue of the reality of depravity and the inevitability of judgment. The gate is on, the only gate that leads to life, the exclusivity of Jesus. And you can only enter this gate empty-handed. This is the truth of the necessity of repentance and faith. Of repentance and faith. Repentance is to turn from, to renounce. And it deals with the issue of our sins or those competing ideas and relationships and agendas, even our own good works. We are called to turn from them in order to, by faith, embrace Jesus Christ. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to your cross I cling. This was the message of Jesus. He said this, the kingdom of God is at hand, do what? And believe the gospel. Repent and believe is what Jesus preached, taught, lived, and died to accomplish. And then the apostle Paul, the greatest evangelist and the one who pushed forward the message of the gospel better than anyone else, standing on, in Athens on a mountaintop, said this. Now he, God, commands everyone everywhere to of their sins and turn to him. This was the message of Jesus. This was the message of Paul and the apostles. It was this. You cannot continue to hold on to all of your own stuff and fit it through the narrow gate. You've got to let it all go in order to turn and to go into this gate. Repentance and faith is the biblical message of how to respond to the message of Jesus, the good news that God would care enough for us to send his own son to die for us. And if you understand your depravity, the reality of judgment, oh, it's worth it. It's worth it. 
those things are important. Uh, I'm just going to quickly uh, sneak my way through um, a slide here. Um, uh, mm, I'm betwixt. All right. Um, there's, there's, yeah. yeah. For every one of you, there's like 12 others say, no, don't, don't. We got, we got lunch plans. I know. I know. Um, there's a man by the name of D.A. Carson. I already showed you uh, a quote from his wonderful book on the, on the Sermon on the Mount. D.A. Carson gives us a, a good illustration of understanding the difference between what we would call modern evangelism and what we would call biblical evangelism. And to do this, he basically gives us this idea of a cone, a cone, one uh, large at one end, tapered down tight at the other, and then the other beginning tight and opening up broader. Modern evangelism is basically a call, a mass call, to simply believe. Simply believe. Believe in Jesus, and you can go to heaven. And then usually a prayer is associated with that or something along those lines. Uh, biblical evangelism is different because, again, biblical evangelism, according to the Apostle Paul and Jesus, was this idea of repentance and faith. To believe is basically a, a, a cognitive thought. But repentance and faith is a volitional moral choice. Very different. Very different. Uh, and so the truth of the matter is this. Um, so... In biblical evangelism, the goal was always to make followers of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ never called anyone to make converts. But according to Matthew 28, 19 and 20, we have been called to make disciples. Those are people who embrace Christ with their life and follow him. And so the opening into this relationship with Jesus has always been very narrow, very tight. And those who wrestle with this and ultimately repent of their sins in their life and turn to Christ and embrace him by faith and give them his li your life, what you do initially is when you step through that gate, it's like, wow. All of a sudden, it begins to kind of open up a little bit. What liberty I've discovered. What, what, what amazing freedom there is in the gospel. How beautiful is this? I get to serve the king of kings. I get to have something that's going to touch forever. And so as you walk the path of a disciple, it opens up more and more beauty, more and more reality, more and more of who God is. It's gorgeous. This is biblical discipleship. Now, again, to believe, mass evangelism is this Make idea of, of come and come. Just keep coming, and you know, if you would just believe and receive, uh, invite Jesus into your heart, if you will just do these things, then you're going to pray a prayer with me, I'm going to read a verse of scripture with you, and you're going to go to heaven. Really? Yeah, yeah. The only problem with that is that that's not biblical evangelism. It's potentially giving people deception. Because we have promised them something we had no right to promise them. Let me uh, give you a, a thought here from uh, David Platt. Uh, I appreciate what he says here because this is my fear in this. Now, I came to Christ through this, uh, and I got in here, and sure enough, it got tighter and tighter, but I embraced it because I love Jesus Christ, and I have made my way through this, this section where I have fully uh, given my life over to Christ. 
But a lot of people who come in this way discover the restrictions that all of a sudden they encounter with this thing of going to heaven gets overly hard. Again, David Platt. Making disciples is the natural, or maybe better yet, supernatural overflow of being a disciple. Proclaiming the love of Christ is the overflow of sharing in the life of Christ. And I'm convinced many people in our churches are just simply missing the life of Christ. And a lot of it has to do with what we've sold them as the gospel. I.e., pray this prayer, accept Jesus into your heart, invite Christ into your life. Should it not concern us that there is no such superstitious prayer in the New Testament? Should it not concern us that the Bible never uses the phrases accept Jesus into your heart or invite Christ into your life? It's not the gospel we see being preached. It's modern evangelism built on sinking sand and it runs the risk of disillusioning millions of souls. It's a very dangerous thing to lead people to think that they are a Christian when they have not biblically responded to the gospel. So modern evangelism, walk the aisle, do you believe, shake your hand, let's go over to a side, let's pray a prayer, and then let me give you a verse of scripture now that you've prayed this prayer. First uh, John 5 verse 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may have, know you have eternal life. Isn't that a great verse? You say yes. It's, I just read scripture. So yes, that's a good verse. It's beautiful. It is awesome. But you've got to understand it comes in chapter 5 at verse 13 at the very end of the letter. And the word to believe here has the idea of a present active participle. It's an ongoing, continuous embracing of the life of Christ, which he fleshed out earlier when he said this. And we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. So the reality is an attitude of obedience towards the word of God is something that's growing in my heart and life if I truly know the living Jesus Christ. And again, he said this, and we know that we have passed from death into life in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 14, because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death, and everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and we know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So he's talking about a growing affection for the people of God, a growing obedience to the word of God, a growing affection for the people of God. And then he goes on to say this, there is a growing assurance of the indwelling Holy Spirit. Chapter 4, verse 13, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. So all of that is the reality of a relationship with Jesus Christ. And when he gets to the end, he says this, I'm writing these things to you who do believe and continue to have confidence and trust in the name of the Son of God that you may know you have eternal life. But we pull that out of context to give people a sense of assurance that they should never have. The assurance should never come from us. It should come from the indwelling Holy Spirit who, can, who with their spirit convinces them that they are a son of God. That's what people need. They don't need us telling them, you're good to go. And then they go out the door, live like the rest of the world, and they think they're okay. That's not good. 
That is not good. That is what much of modern evangelism has turned into. Believe, receive, go to heaven when you die. But that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, repent, turn from your sin and yourself and embrace me by faith and ultimately follow me. All right, I'm going to finish up here. The gate is impossible to find on your own, speaking to the reality of depravity and the inevitability of judgment. If we know that to be true, then we will by all means go to the gate, the exclusivity of Jesus, and embrace the bloody cross. And then we understand that we do that through repentance and faith, the necessity of repentance and faith. And then lastly, the narrow gate leads to the narrow way. The narrow gate leads of necessity to the narrow way. If we come to Christ, we will inevitably follow Christ with our lives. And we will endure in this relationship to the end. We will have an obedient lifestyle which springs from faith. It is necessary for final salvation. There is this neat tension in the Bible. It's, it's a crazy tension between warnings and admonitions and, and fearful sense of judgment, and at the same time, the, the uh, presence and the care and the perseverance of God. So we've got this kind of dual image coming at us. On the one hand, you need to do something. But on the other hand, God's got you. And in this weird tension, God drives us forward into a relationship with himself. It is, it's called perseverance. Perseverance. It, it's captured beautifully right here. Work out, you know, work hard at your own salvation with what? Fear and... This is serious. You need to do this. This is important. Woe unto you if you don't. But on the other hand, it's God who is at work in you, both to will and to work of his good pleasure. So we have this weird tension. But the reality is this. For all true believers, there is the certainty of perseverance in their life. Justification by faith of certainty leads to sanctification or progressive holiness of life in Christ, which eventuates in glorification with Christ in the presence of the Father. But glorification doesn't happen without sanctification, and sanctification cannot happen without justification. They are interdependent certainties of the life of faith. This is just what it is. And this is one of those important truths that you'll never really hear about, but it is the certainty of persevering. Uh, John um, Piper, and we'll close with this. So, clearly, persevering in the furrows of faith by sowing to the Spirit and bearing his fruit of love is necessary for final salvation. God chose you, according to 2 Thessalonians 2.13. God chose you, Paul said. God chose you to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. We are saved through sanctification. means that sanctification, the path of love, the path on which the saved sinner goes to heaven, and it is the only path that leads to heaven. This is, again, another very important biblical truth that you'll just not listen or hear people talk about. But it's part of what it means to be Christ's. That's a lot of stuff today, isn't it? Awful lot of stuff today. I'm sorry. Uh, but there are, there are these false prophets everywhere. They are preaching good stuff, 
but they're not preaching a complete gospel. They'll tell you all kinds of nice things, but they'll not tell you the hard truths. David Mathis said this, the question is not whether you will ever hear the voice of false teachers, but whether you can discern which messages are truly false. And the only way to know is the standard. The Bible is the standard of life and faith and holiness. What we know is here. And those who, live, who teach otherwise, we need to beware of. Watch out for. Because they're sharing a message that Jesus and Paul never preached. And they're calling it the way to God. So the key is the Bible, the Word of God, understanding it and knowing it. And so I'm going to play something out. It's three minutes long. Um, it's a song by a group called Apologetics. Yeah, some of you are laughing because you know who they are. Uh, they are a takeoff band. Uh, they, they do weird songs, with weird lyrics to known songs. This fit perfectly today. Why is he not doing any good? Why, it's a little red Bible book. Hey there, little red Bible book. You sure have been forsook. Your never read so big bad wolves can roam. ourselves at home what big lies we have we come as spies disguised as lambs but if they read just an open page I think they all can spot the wolves far away what truth scripture has is sure to warn if someone's bad so before they in God's grace, I think I ought to lock you up in a safe. I'm gonna keep my sheep suit on, and I'll assure them nothing's wrong. If you can get dusty, they all can leave you alone. Oh, little red Bible book, I'd like to quote you, yes I would. But first I'll change me a thing or two on my own What if these parts I add A word or two, nothing big Little red Bible book Even bad news can seem good I'll try a little cyanide Just enough to slide on by Maybe they'll swallow things I say Before they get to that odd taste Little bit Bible book I'm sure their goose is cooked They never read in the big black book at all Oh, that's too bad 
music. <laughs> but the truth is true. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by him. And Father, anything that would diminish